City Lights is a community of faith in Jesus, seeking to equip people to exalt Him and extend His kingdom. This message is from our study through the Gospel of John called Believe, Jesus Changes Everything. If you are encouraged and challenged by this message, please share it with someone, post it on social media, or let us know by leaving feedback on our iTunes podcast. Have your Biblias turn to John chapter 14. John is a uh, gospel. A gospel simply means a basically like uh, if you're watching the news and all of a sudden the news on the bottom line went doo -doo 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 -doo, breaking news, something needs to interrupt the regularly reported news. That's what this would be, and it would be John's take, one of Jesus' closest friends who wrote down the things he experienced with Jesus. And so the gospel is, is his report, it's him saying, Here is what I experienced with him. The one of the major things that John says more than Matthew, Mark, or Luke, which are other Gospels in the Bible, uh, one of the things that he says more than all three of them combined, he says the word believe over and over again. About 70-some times he talks about believing, which is more than all three of the other reports that we had about Jesus in the Bible. So it's safe to say that John, after spending the time he did with Jesus, said the most important thing is that you believe. It's not just believing in Jesus, but actually believing Jesus. Because the scriptures actually say that, you know, there's a spiritual world, something that we don't see necessarily all the time, angels and demons. And the scriptures actually say that even demons believe in Jesus, but they don't actually believe him. And so it's one thing to say, oh, I believe in Jesus, but that might not avail much. That might not bring much benefit to you. That might not be all that God intends. John's writing say, and says it's not just an intellectual belief. We want you to actually believe him. Believe it. And believing in is, a, is an idea to say, like, yeah, that's true. Believing is saying what he is and who he is and what he's about is what I'm about. He affects me in such a deep, meaningful way. Not just intellect, not just information, but an entirely transformative life. There are a lot of things in our culture that are transformative. And one of the things for me is I try to get outside of Greenville, outside of the upstate, outside of South Carolina, outside of the country, and that's one of the great things about the internet. You can do that often. On Sunday mornings, it's my regular practice to look at the world. And so I did it again this morning real early. Before I prep for the sermon, before I do anything, I just look at global news. And so I reached really, really far out to try to see about what's going on with terrorism and nuclear weapons and political aspects, just all the things, and just see what's happening. And, and if I don't do that, I know that one of my tendencies is just to think that our world, our city, my life, our church is the thing that matters more than anything. And that's just, that's just not true. We're one part, and we do. We matter a lot to God, and what you do with your life matters. But we're part of a larger body of Christ. That's what the scripture says. We're actually, we're like the, uh, the liver, or maybe we're like a lung, or maybe we're part of the pancreas, but we're part of it, so we matter. But I, you know, as a pancreas, we can also know what the shoulder joint's doing. And so that's, for me, a, a practice. And so I'm usually very, very uh, stirred up when I look around global news. Well, this morning, I went ahead and came back, and I hit U.S. news. And, like, number three story in U.S. news was so contrasting, I couldn't help but share it. So here was the news article that was number three for the news searching this morning. Florida woman arrested allegedly for riding a horse while drunk. And I, I was very curious about a lot of things with it. But one of the things that I was really curious about is what time was she riding this horse? 1.30 p.m. She was double the legal of a limit of alcohol at 1.30 p.m. And this is what the police scene looked like. There you go. Sometimes uh, in our culture, we're, it's known for driving under the influence. She was riding under the influence, not going the speed limit, right on the road. And they had to pull her over. 
as humorous as that is, it's not surprising to me at all that after, this is the last article I read before I went to more spiritual things in the Bible in my office, and I went immediately to this passage. And look at the first words that Jesus says that John records, John chapter 14, verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. The first statement he makes right here, he's basically saying the same thing. In this world, we can be influenced, whether it's by alcohol, drugs, hopes, dreams, ambitions, fears, the Holy Spirit, dream, love we've received, affirmation, promise of accolades and positional promotions. You can be stirred or influenced by any of these certain things. And ultimately, I will make a statement. I believe that we're all influenced by something. And Jesus proves it right here saying, hey, don't let your heart be influenced by the trouble that you're in circumstantially. Specifically right here, if you've been with us the last few weeks, Jesus is in a conversation with them where he's sharing a a last meal. This is really their last time with him and his close friends. He's about to be crucified, die in front of their eyes. The guy that they put all their hopes and and dreams in, the guy that was really influencing every day of their life, not only the present ideas, but future ideas and things in the scripture called prophecy. Sometimes the prophecies of the scripture, prophecy meant things that were to come in the future, things that were going to happen. There were prophecies made that one day God would send his Christ, his anointed one. His name would be Jesus. He would truly be God physically with us. So these, these band of followers, his close friends knew this, so their hopes and dreams We're being influenced by these prophecies being fulfilled in their midst. But Jesus in this scene says, one of you is going to betray me, and and this is what servanthood looks like, and and this is what it's going to look like to follow me. It's going to feel like you're dying. I mean, he he says all these things that seem contradictory to these prophecies being fulfilled because one of the tendencies was, if God is in our midst, then everything will go right for us. If God is in our midst, everything will go right for us all the time. And they weren't wrong but they focused on circumstantial things that ebb and flow as evidence that God was actually for them, rather than saying, wait, is God's presence with me? Because he promised that. And the answer is always yes. But when they looked at the provision or lack of provision or the lack of fulfillment of promises or the lack of their ideas of what would take place, they got influenced by the gaps. They got influenced by the in-between. They got influenced by the waiting. They got influenced in And any time that we have those gaps, it's so important what we fill that gap of misunderstanding or waiting with. And oftentimes, we fill it with skepticism, fear, manipulation. What I mean by manipulation is like, God, this hasn't happened yet. And if you are God, do this so I'll know. And we fill it in and say, God, this is an opportunity for you to prove your faithfulness. And we're not saying for your glory and your good. We're saying for my good so that I can continue to trust your glory. Jesus knew all this, guys, by the way. You know, if you see a passage in scriptures that's like a command, and this could be read as a command, don't think of commands as like the 10 things in the Old Testament. Don't murder, don't steal, don't covet after someone's spouse, and don't see commands like that. If you see commands as things that God's saying, like, I know what you're up against, and I'm just going to give you a real clear reminder. Look for this. He's just saying, hey, you're going to experience trouble, and I'm just going to help you understand how to navigate it. So when he's right here, he's like, you're going to be under the influence of moments where you're like, oh, circumstantially, I feel like I'm in a bad spot. This feels rough. I don't like where I'm at right now. And he says, well, don't let that thing that you're in define who you are. Don't let, you know, the heart, it's one thing if he said your mind, but don't let your heart, don't let the very core of you be troubled. 
What's interesting is Jesus' heart was troubled recently. If you want to, you know, I know we preach week to week to week to week, but this is still part of the same conversation when Jesus himself, his heart was troubled. He was troubled. Wait a minute, Jesus can't be troubled. That's it. No, 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 no. Looking at your circumstances and going like, wow, this is, this is difficult or this is a lot. You didn't sin. You just bring that to the Lord and say, God, this feels like a lot to me. And Jesus is helping them see one of the greatest things you can do when you feel problems and trials and temptations is just talk and interact with God about it. He's inviting it. But he's also saying you don't need to let troubles and trials and problems be the authority or the primary influence. I mean, think about it in our culture. You know, and at times when somebody is, quote, under the influence, I want to be, really, I want to be very sensitive to this because I will say all of us have been under the influence of something in our lives that has led us to do something foolish relationally damaging, perhaps against the law of the land, and we find ourselves in all kinds of places. And we have so many friends here who are part of overcomers, though I haven't gone through that steps and processes of overcomers, I too am an overcomer because Jesus is actually known as the one who has overcome. And my life is with him. And so wherever you're at, we are alike. In Christ, all of us have overcome that which is against us, whether we've gone through certain rehabilitation stations or, or processes or not, we all are alike in that way. So some influences that, that are influencing us cause different routes for us, but we're going to find the same kindness of God meeting each one of us there. So I just want to make sure, if any of you are to look to your right or left and think, I'm, I'm a little above or a little below that person, you're thinking of an evil hell narrative. The, the narrative of the scriptures is that the ground is level at the cross, that we're justly deserving separation, but God said, I'm not going to leave it up to you to bring this back together. I'm going to bring it back together. And anytime you face trouble, I'm going to give you this teaching so you know what happens in the midst of it all. So we see people who are under the influence, and sometimes, I don't know about you, but like <laughs> the woman on the horse who's under the influence, I, I look at her and I kind of chuckle and go, ah, you know, she rode her horse middle of the day on a highway. You know, like, oh, she was crazy drunk. We allow for it. We almost budget for it. We kind of write it off like, oh, yeah, sure, sure. But I would love it to see, like, if the church understood what it looked like to be under the influence of the presence of God and the power of God, and they would see the provisions of God impacting the world and go, ah, yeah, that's about what happens when people walk with God in their circumstances. Wouldn't that be awesome? I mean, that's what God intends. He's not going to do it. I mean, he does it through me in my life, but not because I'm titled as a, a pastor vocationally. He does that through you and I. Heaven meets earth through you when you leave this place. That's how God intends to demonstrate what it looks like to go through trouble. So for me, when I see the, the situations as obstacles, instead of looking at everything as an obstacle against what I believe I'm supposed to do and how I'm supposed to live or what I'm trying to do, I see, wow, this is an opportunity for you to demonstrate your presence to me and through me in the midst of this time. It's not an obstacle, it's an opportunity. So I just ask you guys, and this is just a simple, simple question, but if everyone's under the influence of someone or something, what has been influencing your life? It's helpful to look back it's helpful to look in this moment. If you look this moment forward, you will give yourself usually more credit. Some of you are optimistic, like, oh, God's going to influence me. And some of you who tend to be in the other side, you'll be like, oh, I know, I'm just so prone to this and this and this and this and this and this. I would just say whatever you count and just say, wow, what would it look like for God to influence me more than those things when I'm in those things? An extremist would go, I'm going to cut all those things off. What I would challenge you to do is like, no, what does it look like just to walk with God in the midst of all those things and see if maybe the things that he said is good are really still good? But his presence that you haven't acknowledged in the midst of those problems is not good. You know, Adam and Eve, when they struggled and they sinned, they were experiencing good things. In fact, human beings on planet Earth walking with God was actually very good. It only became not good when they did not interact 
with the very presence of God that was present. That became the not good. That's really the definition of sin. It's not so much rebellion as much as it is God's presence with us and we just don't acknowledge. So we actually suffer in that regard. So Jesus saying, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. The first thing I want to mention this morning is the presence of trouble doesn't mean you're in trouble. And yeah, that sounds pithy and fun. What I mean by this is just because you have a problem you're faced with, maybe you have a sentence before you. I, I did some things when I was a certain age that caused me to get arrested, and I had some sentencing and some things that I had to take care of and do for about 18 months. And every single day I woke up, that sentence was before me. And I had a speaking gift at that time, so the police department thought it would be creative and fun to have me go speak about the thing I did with young people in order to help me be rehabilitated. So I had to face my problems almost on a daily basis, judged by the law. And until I did all those things according to what they said, that was still my problem to navigate through. And I had to deal with the fact that, am I this thing or am I not this thing? And I had to navigate through the fact that there is a problem in my life. Am I actually still a problem? Just because there's trouble in my life that was an incident, it's lingering. And I had to literally journey through that. The reality is, sometimes some of us see the presence of trouble or difficulty or want or anxiety as a personal problem. What I'd like to inform you or remind you of is that you have been loved by such a loving God that before you were even a thought in your mother's mind or, or any family's mind, God knew you and he planned every single day of your life for good things that you would walk into them. And he went ahead of those days and planted seeds so that they would grow up that you would actually walk into those things in your life. That's the most normal thing said about you because God's the ultimate authority who ultimately influences all things. So no matter what trouble's been in your life, what trouble you're still facing, do not make it so minute that God doesn't care. And also remind yourself when it's so big that it's not more difficult for him to navigate that problem with you. Jesus himself says, I know that this is confusing. Listen, the, the context right here, guys, think about this is potentially, and, and so many signs have led up to it, and he's about to die and then resurrect from the dead, which is ultimately almost the point where they believe that eventually the Holy Spirit of God, which is, we're going to get to in this passage, is given to individual people, and then everything connects them. They go, oh my goodness, this is what he meant. Oh, but they were super confused. I mean, it's their last night with their best friend Jesus, the Son of God, and they are massively troubled. It seems disproportionate to be troubled in the midst of God's presence, but they, the closest people who have gotten the most exposure to Jesus, are the troubled people that he's addressing. He's not saying, hey, other people are troubled out there because of their business affairs, and other people are troubled out there because of their, their family and, and their physical health. He's like, you guys are troubled, aren't you? Don't let that be the final line for your life. Why? I couldn't help this morning, for some reason I just believe this is going to serve us well, I couldn't help but think about this, this, this point in the context of Peter and how Peter heard it. So Peter was one of Jesus' closest followers, one of the most uh, loud, verbal, demonstrative leaders, like, uh, I believe in you, I'm going to go for you kind of guys. Here's what he says about trouble and problems. So stunning. I'm going to read to you three passages, 1 Peter 1, 1 Peter 4, and verse, uh, 1 Peter 4, again, a different passage. 1 Peter 1, verse 6. Peter writing to people who were like in Greenville and then suffering because of their faith happens so much. They lose their jobs. They lose their house. Some people get killed. And literally we all get spread out outside of the state. You're in no man's land. You didn't even know about that county or that city. You have no friends or relationships. And the reputation of being a Christ follower goes before you and nobody wants anything to do with you. He's writing to those people who are in extreme suffering. He says this, 
in this you rejoice. <laughs> Which, by the way, rejoice is I'm going to find my deep confidence in who I am, not what I'm experiencing. Okay? So that's, that's another message. But in this you rejoice. For now, for a little while, again, the problems we face in this life are temporary compared to the permanency of our relationship with God as a promise, but also his promise in his presence is with us. For a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. That word various is the word polka dot. That's where we get the word polka dot. And a true polka dotted pattern, if you're a designer and you have a, a large piece of fabric, I don't know if you do this, you, you have a mind similar to mine. If when you look at um, some sort of design, if you try to figure out patterns where creativity stopped and they just hit repeat, repeat, repeat. True polka dottedness would not have a pattern that's repeated with color, shape, size, or anything. It would just be random, 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 forever and ever. So you would just, I mean, we used to be the center of the textile world. You know that in Greenville? It's pretty awesome. Our textile mill is one of those. That's where we're going to be. It's pretty sweet to see it redeemed to be a church now, a place of hope that's going to go out to the world. Whoop. So you have this polka dot of nature. So God, God, Peter's saying this. He says, hey, if necessary, you're going to go through various polka dot trials, meaning it's going to look like random. It's going to be wild. And then he goes on to say later that these polka dotted troubles and problems, he says, each one of you has received a gift, the gift specifically of the presence of God, and you use it to serve one another. The presence of God reminds you of the things of God in every instance. We can't be a church that just prizes provision and power and, and all these other things and promises because all those are secondary. They're fruits of being with someone. The ultimate gift of the scriptures and the ultimate gift of our life is that God is now with us. Not over there, over there, but in you. He's about to talk about that. We'll talk about that in the next few weeks as well. This is a significant thing that the gift that you have, you're like, oh, well, he's gifted with this and she's gifted with that. No, no, no. Every single one of us has been given the Holy Spirit of God, which is the very presence of God. So the question really becomes, what does it look like to be influenced by the presence of God in the midst of this problem? Well, I'm this and I'm that. Why did you change the conversation about what you are and aren't? Who is he? Peter's understanding this and he says, Use this idea and this truth as good stewards of God's varied grace. Polka-dotted problem, polka-dotted provision. So he's able to somehow see the world unfold. You know, that's a big roll of fabric, by the way, in my mind. Random, 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 random. And he's like, I can match that. My grace will one-up every one of them. So those who are looking for the polka dots to disappear or not show up, I'd like to say two things. One, God has provided unique, special taste of grace like a meal you've never savored before that is perfectly fit for the circumstance that you're in. So there is a flavor and a taste and a fragrance, a whole meal of the presence of God that is shared, an intimate encounter with God in that moment to show the world his immeasurable riches of grace and kindness in that moment. In some ways, the unique things you suffer are also unique opportunities to engage in the very presence of God. Listen, uh, I, have, I listen to all kinds of music, and one of my favorite rap artists recently said in one of his songs, it's not the gains that I have learned the most from and the ups and the prizes. It's all the times that I've hit the bottom and been low that I've learned the most. If somebody who actually was part of Catholicism and then just decided to hate God and despise organized religion. He gets 
the reality that in that place, I have seen hope rise. I've seen lessons learned. And this is a person who sold tens of millions of albums. And he's going on to say, that didn't teach me much of anything. But what I found in the low place, he doesn't go on to say it's Jesus. However, I would absolutely tell him, if you're finding silver lining down there, you're finding things that are going to make you stable, you're finding things that are true, that's just the grace of God to you right now. That's what you're tasting. Now, he hasn't got down there and said, where's this meal coming from? He's just going, when I'm down low, I taste things I never thought I'd taste before. I'm continuing to pray for him that eventually he's going to realize, whoa, Jesus himself's been serving up those dishes, and he wants me to feast with him. Peter goes on. And he says in chapter 4, verse 12 through 13, listen, this is contextualizing the whole problem that you're in. I don't want you, church, to think of the sickness I'm in, the, the mental unhealth I'm in, the relational miss, all the circumstances I'm in, underemployment, overemployment, whatever it might be. You're like, I'd love to be overemployed. Whatever it might be. Peter writes and says, beloved, do not think and do not be surprised by the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening. So some of us are like, man, Chris, I've never been this low. It is so hard. It's so difficult. Peter is not as kind as God, the way God's wired me. Peter would be like, what? What do you think? This is strange, man. Come on. Why do you think this is weird or surprising? That's, that's Peter's personality. He may not have got that high voice. He was probably more masculine and male. He'd be like, hey, that's not strange. And I'd be like, hey, where, 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 where? But he's simply saying to him, why, why are you surprised by that? And why are you surprised by the fiery loss? It feels like fire's been burnt to everything I own. He's like, why are you surprised? As though that's something strange. Don't you remember Jesus saying, don't let your heart be troubled and discouraged by the trouble you're in? Why are you under the influence of your trouble instead of being under the influence of something else? We're all under the influence of something. Everywhere we go, by the way. Some of you came under the influence that if I get to church, I'll see some things about myself, I'll correct those things, and my week will be better. That's, that's called like a self-justification project. And that, that's not good. But if you're here, I'm glad you're here. That's awesome. Because God wants to hear you say that, hey, he's not interested in you, quote, getting better. He just wants you to know his presence wherever you go. And that's going to be glory and goodness to you. And it's going to be built on, oh, my goodness, I am here because of God. I'm here with God. And I give away God in the midst of it. Rather than going, I prop myself up a little bit better and a little bit more. Verse 13, but rejoice again insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when glory is revealed. So Peter, who actually heard Jesus say, hey, don't let your heart be troubled. And listen, Peter's heart was troubled. Because when Jesus said this in other accounts, Peter's like, no, 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 you're not going to die. No one's going to betray you. And a few moments later, people come in a very troubled scene. They come to break up the God squad. And they come to literally take Jesus by force. And Peter's like, uh-uh, pulls out a sword and he's whack. And just cuts a guy's ear off. It wasn't a real good swing, but he cuts a guy's ear off. And Jesus is like, you're under the influence of your narrative. You think you fighting that way for my kingdom is good. This is not how my kingdom rolls. Jesus puts the ear back and is like, puts the ear back on, the guy's ears back on. And then Jesus gets taken away. Like, What? That's not what I expect. Listen, every, almost every day when they were with Jesus, they're like, Jesus, I know what we're going to do today. And Jesus goes like the opposite direction. Jesus, I know what to do here today. I'm going to cut off that guy one appendage by another. Like, here's his ear first. Woohoo! And Jesus is like, I'm going to fix that. And you just stand back a little bit. Do you, you guys understand? And so sometimes we're fighting against the very things that God's wanting to provide. 
I, I can say as a personal witness, testimony, whatever language works for you, just like you only can represent your own voice. I can't, I can't represent you. I can share your story, but it's still yours. I, I'm not going to get every detail right. The greatest things I've discovered about God, some of the greatest things I've discovered about God has been times that I've been pressed lower and been in more difficult situations, self-induced and not self-induced, than I ever have in my life. That's where I've tasted and seen some of the most indescribable things about God in our relationship. So I get it. I'm not praying for trouble, but when trouble comes, it's not, it tempts me to be dismayed. I will say that. There's moments for me. But these truths serve me well and serve you well when they bring us back to the presence of God. The point that Peter's making, that he hears from John's account of Jesus, that, and Peter was right there, is just a simple line. Polka-dotted problems are always met with God's polka-dotted presence. I know it's a little bit silly sounding, but you guys, since you heard the sermon, you understand that. There's never a problem that you're going to face alone. Ever. One of the greatest lies the enemy has sowed into humanity is that you're alone. You've never been alone. I know you've felt it because you've been saying, I wouldn't feel alone if X, Y, and Z were felt. Or someone would say X, Y, Z. God has already spoken. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Don't let your heart be troubled. Don't be under the influence of trouble. Don't be under the influence. So, and maybe you've said this, I don't mean to offend you, but if you say, oh, earth is going to hell in a handbasket, you've been under the influence of the dismay on earth rather than, behold, I make all things new. I get that there's difficult things going on in the world that are tragic. That's why I read the world news. But when I read the world news, I go, cool, God, what are you up to? And the last thing I read is a woman riding a horse under the influence. And then I get in the sermon, probably like, oh, is that the opening illustration? Sweet, let's do this. This is great. Seeing God in the midst of those problems. The second thing that's really poignant in this passage it, to me, it's the most stunning thing in these few sentences. God's presence is always more powerful than our problems. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. Verse 2, in my Father's house, there's many rooms. If it weren't true, if, that, if there weren't many houses in my, many rooms in my Father's house, why would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Now, if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. Listen, if I go do this, I will come again and I will take you to myself. I want to I identify something. Father's house sounds spatial, like a subdivision with certain houses, custom made for you with the right color, the right thread count of sheets, perfect air conditioning setting, the fridge full of all the things you love, the best dog that never goes to the restroom in the house, all of it. However, when it gets defined, in my father's house there's many rooms, still sounds spatial, if it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. Listen, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I'll take you to me. One of the mis major misunderstandings of this passage is that heaven is a wonderful place of subdivisions with perfect lawn and perfect labradoodles and perfect dressed, perfect smell, when it's always been about a relationship, and a person, and a presence. When Jesus says it right here, just in case that's new to you, and, and I'm sure it is to some, that's fine. Let me keep reading. That where I am, you may be also. Let me just keep reading. I'm not going to preach on these passages, but let me just give you some context. In verse 4, and you know the way where I'm going. Thomas, one of his best friends, said, well, well Jesus, he says, Lord, it's like master, like you're, you're in charge. We don't know where you're going. Proximity, spatial. 
I don't know where you're going. How can we know the way to get there? And then Jesus says to him, the address to get to that house where there's many rooms. He said, well, Thomas, you know the way. I'm, I'm the way. And for this morning, I'm going to preach on this next week, but for this morning, think about it in this context. How weird for it would it be for Jesus to be like, hey, I'm going to go literally prepare the subdivision of the land I bought in the place called heaven that's spatially away. And where I am and where that is, I'm going to get you to that space someday. And I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. Like, wait a minute, what? But when you, for a simple application, Jesus is going like, hey, do you want to know how to get there? Yeah, I'll show you the way. Present tense, presence of God. I'll show you the way. I'll be the truth that will guide your mind rationally, that shows you what is most true in the narrative of the world. And I am the life. I am the life that you will live. That, the way into the mysterious beauty of shalom and all things new, the way is with Jesus, the truth is with Jesus, and the life is with Jesus. Just goes with him. Do you see how his counsel and his perspective is present tense? So often preachers have taken this to say, spatial, physically, when you die. This is when you come to Christ, you spiritually recognize your death and you're alive. And he says, and now I'm with you. I went to prepare a place for you in my death, in my resurrection, the giving of my Holy Spirit. Now I am with you. What do we do, God? Well, I'm gonna show you the way. What if we don't know? I'm gonna be the truth. That seems like, yeah, we're gonna do this in life. It's simple. It's all about how you read the scripts. If you're reading the scripts, it's just a doomsday narrative. You go, see, you're not gonna have an address. Jesus didn't leave that up to you to make sure your GPS works. He said, I'm going to come on board, and I'm going to help you recalculating, recalculating. The way is this way. Like, oh, thank you, Lord. But I thought, here is the truth. Okay, I mean, that's silly, but that's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. Listen, verse, let me read verse 16. Verse 15, he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And all that means is the things I've, command is not some rules of follow, it's the things that God says, here's what it looks like to love. And here's what, and he's not saying go follow rules, he's saying as we do life together, you'll see the things that I did are the things that my spirit is going to lead you to do. He didn't give you a rule book and said, good luck with this. I'll judge you in the end. (laughs) Some of us have approached it that way because people have pitched it that way. Verse 16, I will ask the father, paternal, which by the way, earlier, the father's house is just the paternal house. It's family. I'll ask the father and he will give you another helper, capital H, which is the Holy Spirit. We've got a Trinitarian moment here to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees them or knows him. All they see is their problem. All they see is their agenda. They can't deal with the presence of those things over the presence of God. You know him, for he dwells with you, and he'll be in you. If there is spatial teaching in this passage, it's about God in people. It's not about a subdivision at 777 heaven, way truth life. And I don't, I'm not trying to throw, I just, if we go into the scriptures thinking judgment and hell, and damnation. That's how we end up reading John 3 that says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that, that no one would perish but have everlasting life. And I did not come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. How that gets turned to you're out rather than he's the way, the truth, and the life in is just strange. 
it's strange and it's, it's wrong. He goes on to say, I'm not going to leave you as orphans, verse 18. I will come to you. Family, dad's house, family. You're not going to be an outsider, though you feel like I'm the worst. There's no way I, I don't look like God. I don't act like God. My family, he's like, no, 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 no. You're not an orphan. You're a family member, just like he is a family member. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me because I live, and you also will live. <laughs> As Christ is alive, you're alive. You know that, right? I don't have time to get into later. Paul talks about that and says, As Christ Jesus has been crucified and raised from the dead and seated on high, so are you. And he uses present tense verbs. If you're into grammatical, historical understanding of the scripts, that's what it's saying. In that day, verse 20, you will know that I am in my Father, what? And you're in me, and I'm in you. I'm going to have to teach that next week or the week after if I try to put it off a little longer because it is one of the most stunning statements ever made in any page of the Bible. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. It, I'll, just as a side note, just in case you want to turn on to performance, he's saying, if good things come out, it's evidence of walking with Yahweh. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Jumping down, verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, who the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Context, 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 context. They're sitting at their dinner table. They're troubled about somebody's about to betray. You know, we've been hanging out for three years and part of our group, our family, we've gone, we've seen dead people brought back to life named Lazarus. We've seen blind people see. We've seen Jesus walk on water in still ways. We've seen him totally overthrow through just a few sentences, things that the whole social, political, and religious scene, I mean, we've seen so much with you, Jesus, and now he's leaving and they're like, this makes me so troubled. And he said, don't be influenced by your interpretation of things going on. I'm not going anywhere, but deeper into you. Father's in this. Spirit's in this. I'm in this. And we're in you. Let me just make a couple last comments. Jasper, I don't know where you are, but if you want to come on up, worship team, if you want to come up. If you've never seen a worship team come up, it's not that interesting. I know people stare. They're just humans walking up to try to keep staying on the passage. In verse 2, in my Father's house are many rooms. This is, this is important because this is, sounds so spatial, and I get it. We have to just, for a moment, understand historical context. Uh, can we put up that slide? In my Father's house, the word father in the Greek is, no, yeah, you had the right one. In my Father's house, pater, it's just paternal. In my Father's house, house is the word oikos. If you've been at City Lights for a year, you've heard me use the word oikos. Oikos was not an address or brick and mortar, it was the influence of that place. Do you have a neighbor who has the best lawn? It's not just the best lawn. It's just like, you know, they care about lawn. So if you wanted to go and figure out how to do horticulture, you'd go to them. And be like, hey, the best scenario would be that you'd take care of my lawn. Second best is that you would just influence the way I approach this. In my father's influence, there's plenty of space for people who want to be with him and his influence. So, in my father's house. House is oikos. There are many rooms. Rooms. When I saw Mona, for some reason I thought of meno. Meno, M-E-N-O, is in 1 John over and over and over again. It's the word abiding, and it's a verb. 
abide in him, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. That's not the word here. It only shows up in John, it only shows up three times, and it's a noun. It's a description of you. It's not something you do, it's who you are. In my father's house, the influence of the the presence of God and the influence of the presence of God that parts waters, that formed everything out of nothing. There's so much of him that there's always a place for you and him and him and you. May the influence of God's presence be what influences you. So we say, God, what am I under the influence of? Because I want to be influenced by you. It's not some distance, seven, seven, heaven, way, truth, life lane. It's God, you're in my mind, you're in my heart, you're in my body. Jesus, you said that his father is in you and you are in father, you are in us. And you sent helper to help us understand. God's presence is always more powerful than any provision, any waiting, any loss. And I know I'm saying that statement to you in faith because I know it's going to be hard. And that's why Jesus said, do not let your mind deceive you and your emotions to spiral you down. David in Psalm 42 and 43 said, soul, he's literally having a private conversation. He looks into this, his soul and says, soul, why are you so downcast? Body, mind, why are you doing this? Hope in God. Hope in God. Why do you think he says that? Because he's downcast. He's in a whirlpool of emotion. He's in a funk. He's in a depressed, worried state. And it's, if you read about the things that are going on in his life, it's serious stuff. And he goes, nope. Even the presence of the enemies encamped around me to take my life, yet I hope in God. And later in that passage, he says, and I laid my head down to sleep, and I woke in the next morning in the new mercies of God, and he made my soul at rest. But it started with a choice. Oikos is a person's presence and influence more than it is personal property. I'm not saying that there won't be a time in future history and future eternity where there will be an all things new spatial experience where there will only be sight and not just seen and unseen. There is a beautiful promise to come from that. But I want to prepare you to get there and to do that now is to live in the unseen now that goes against the narrative of problem and trouble but also acknowledges it. It's okay to acknowledge problem, but when you acknowledge problem, don't talk to God about your problem. Oliver said this months ago. Tell your problems about God. When they show up, you're like, oh, cool, what do you want to know about them? I'm not glad you're here, but since you're here, let me tell you about Yahweh, because I'm not going to go your way. Let me read this passage to you, 1 Corinthians 10. This is from the message version. This is a shout out to my friend Colin message version no test or temptation that comes your way is beyond the course of what others have had to face all you need to remember is that God will never let you down he'll never let you be pushed past your limit he'll always be there to help you come through it in Ephesians I was trying to find the most street level version of the scriptures and it wasn't street enough, so I went ahead and wrote this with a, the most street I could find. I put about 50% of me into this. So this is just a, a personal witness, but it's Ephesians chapter 2. Listen to this. 
It wasn't so long ago that you were stuck in the old stagnant life of sin. You let the world which doesn't know the first thing about living tell you how to live. You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief and then exhaled disobedience. We all did it. All of us doing what we felt like doing when we felt like doing it. All of us were in the same boat. It's a wonder God didn't lose his temper and do away with all of us. Instead, immeasurable in mercy and with an incredible love, he embraced us. He took our stuck in sin, dead lives and made us alive in Christ. And he did all this on his own with no help from us. Then he picked us up and he set us in the highest heavenly company with himself, Jesus. Now God has us exactly where he wants us. I just want to say that to you. God has you exactly where he wants you. With all the time in this world and in the next world to shower grace and kindness upon us in Christ Jesus. That's the way people who walk in the presence of God see opportunity and obstacle. Saving is all his idea and it's all his work. All we have to do is trust him enough to let him do it. It's God's gift from start to finish. We don't play the major role. And the last part of my paraphrase of Ephesians is, no, we neither make nor save ourselves. God does both the making and the saving. He creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work he does. The good work he has gotten ready for us to do, work we get to do with him. (laughs) It's awesome. The presence of trouble in your life doesn't mean you're in trouble. And God's presence is always more powerful than the problem you face. So I just bookend, you don't need to think about a person intoxicated on a horse, but in every situation that you're going through, I think a really fitting question is I send you, what am I under the influence of? Don't be condemning if you're in a fearful state, a troubled state. Stop condemning yourself. That's the enemy sharing information with you. Just say, hey, what am I under the influence of right now? If it's fear, if it's cynicism, if it's hell in a handbasket, where are you getting that thought from? What am I under the influence of? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, thank you that this house right here is under the influence of you. Ooh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Just pray right now over each one of you the authority given to me as a son of the living God and you as a son or daughter of the living God who believe in Jesus and believe Jesus. Walk under the influence of God's presence for as long as today is called. 